How many of you look at your spouse and you think that person is a mystery to me? At least once in your life you thought that. You know, put your hand in the air. No, don't jump because you're not going to get, you're like, what? No. Now, that's, that, we're going we're gonna to go through marriage for the next few weeks. If you would today, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look through uh, just one of the most classic passages on marriage that are in the Bible. Now, you might say, as you're turning there, why, why talk marriage right now? Well, first of all, you may or may not know this, but this week is National Marriage Week. I didn't know that. I kind of ran across it by accident this last week as I was studying. And then today is National Marriage Sunday. So I was like, hey, perfect. No, actually, I've been planning this for quite some time uh, because I feel that this is a very important subject. Because to get down a little more serious here this morning, most of us, if not almost all of us in this room, are now or have been or will be at some point in our lives married. Now, some of you young people, you might think that's like, and especially your dads think, oh, that's a long time away. And I have girls, and amen to that. But, you know, no, all of us, if the statistics are true, all of us will at some point have come in contact with marriage at some point. And if you're here today and you say, not me, not me, never, I will never, ever, ever again get married, that you probably feel that way, though on some level, because of some experience you've had with marriage. It's possible your parents, their marriage wasn't good. It's possible you've been married before and that wasn't good. And so you said, I've been there, I bought the t-shirt, I gave it away, I burned it, no more, I'm not getting married. But the stats are also pretty good to say that there's a good chance you could meet someone at some point and all of that sentiment is gone in a moment. Because you say, okay, well, but yesterday I didn't want to get married to today. How you doing? You know, and so, so now I'm changing. Or you might say, I'm never getting married. It ain't ever going to happen. And that's the truth. And you won't get married. But again, I would guess to say this morning that you feel that way at least on some level because you have not seen marriage go well in the past. The statistics are frightening, to be honest, with marriage. And here's the deal, is that marriage is important for all of us because this is the foundation, this is the building blocks, if you will, upon which God built us, upon which God built everything. He built it on the foundation of the family. And the foundation of family is important. You might be today saying, man, this is painful, Pastor Steve. I, I, you, this is a hard thing for me to swallow or talk about or deal with. And that's exactly why we need to talk about this. Because within the context of a bad marriage, within the context of an unhealthy marriage, there is all kinds of possibility, all kinds of spots and places for seeds of bitterness and resentment and sin and sexual garbage and all kinds of stuff. Those things can be planted within the seeds of a bad marriage. And I've been with more than enough people in my life in, in counseling or chatting or just friends or talking to find that, man, the, the, the stuff that they're into and, and that's, that's happened in their life, man, it has gotten to start because of a, of a difficult marriage or a difficult situation where the husband and the wife have grown apart or, or, or whatever it might be this morning. And in this room today, there's no question that there's at least somebody here today that's struggling through marriage. And your kids know it. You know it. Your spouse knows it. Your kids see it. You may have done a pretty good job and nobody else knows where you're at, but you do. And you know what I'm talking about this morning. There's been temptation. There's been thoughts and things that have found their, their way there. And that's because God designed marriage to be great. 
But like anything when it comes to this stuff, the enemy has done a pretty good job in our secularized culture to twist and turn and make marriage not seem like what it's supposed to be from the beginning. Amen? So we're going to walk through that and we're going to talk about that. But, but, but again, the, the reality is, is that marriage is under fire in our culture. And the divorce rate, as you probably know, is no secret. It's about half. And so half of marriages that begin today will probably end, end up in divorce at some point. And it's no different for the church rather, rather than the, the world. And that's a sad thing in and of itself. And, and, and it's not really a, a, a surprise, though. And, you know, now here in certain places, America, number may be bigger, but in some places it's much smaller. So as a whole in our society, marriage is under fire. What I think is one of the most interesting statistics, though, has to do with children born to married families. Uh, uh, in 1970, 89% of all children were born to a married couple. And so that's man and woman, by the way. And so 89%, so 9 out of 10 uh, fa- children were born to married couples. Now, you fast forward to a couple years later to 2012, which is the last time that this level of of, of, of research has been done, and so just six years ago, so it's actually quite a while ago, uh, that number has changed significantly. In 2012, it was found that 41% of children were born to a traditional mom and dad married couple family. 41%. Now, to put that in perspective, if you took 10 babies out of a cross-section of America and put them in a room and that took 10 of those, four would be born to a married mom and dad and the rest would not be. Now, how many think that's, that's pretty staggering. Now, that would not be probably in our area. Our area, that number is higher, right? In Monticello, Big Lake, and such, that number is probably much higher. Uh, but it's not 100%, but it's probably higher. And, but some places, it's even much lower than that. See, because when marriage is under fire in one part of our society, it's under fire in all the parts of our society. And it's under fire. Listen to what this person said. This is Tara Parker Pope, who is a noted secular author and expert in family psychology. She wrote this this in 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 a, in a, a book she called The Happy Marriage is the Me Marriage. Now you're like, I know where this is going. Well, you're probably right. Listen to this here. He says, she says this. She says, the notion that the best marriages that bring satisfaction to the individual may sound counterintuitive. After all, isn't marriage supposed to be about putting the relationship first? Not anymore. For centuries, marriage was viewed as an economic and social institution. And the emotional and intellectual needs of the spouses were secondary to the survival of the marriage itself. And I want to pause there for a minute. Because again, this marriage idea, and I put that up there a little bit, but this idea of marriages being in difficulty is not a new concept. It probably isn't even as new as 1970. It goes back further than that. It's just that older generations, they were a little more stubborn. And they would stick a little longer with their spouse, but they would be miserable in those marriages sometimes. And they've raised children and grandchildren and families that are in a very similar situation. Now, not everybody. There's been plenty of people who have, have stuck with it and plenty of great marriages. And my grandparents had an amazing marriage. Who, watching my grandparents be married and be in love for so many years, and when they passed away, just the way that they treated each other was so incredible. It's a thing that I said when I was young. That's the kind of marriage that I want to have in my life and in my, in my home. And guess what? 
That takes work, right? It takes work. It takes some wisdom and some understanding. And so, so to that context, we maybe not have always seen great marriages, but let's continue here. It says, but in modern relationships, people are looking for partners to make their lives more interesting, who help each of them attain valued goals. In other words, what people want today is a marriage that serves me. And then add to that fact that if you look at your spouse and say, you are a mystery to me that I don't always get. See, what happens in dating is you think that those mysteries are wonderful, right? They're like, oh, she, she chews her food so cute, and he, oh, he does this so wonderful. And it's like this mystery that you never knew before, but then when you get married in about three or four years, that cute middle mystery turns into, why do you chew your food like that? Would you knock that off? It's awful. I hate that. And so, so here's where we are today. And see, those are just little moments and times and ticks where the enemy can place a little wedge of separation between us and our spouse. And in essence, can begin to, will, to, 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 to pull away at our lives and our hearts. And it's one more area that the enemy can, can gain, uh, can gain a, a foothold in in our lives. The big question today that I, I want to ask is, is what makes a healthy marriage? What is it? Is it love? Is it attraction? Is it, is it fun? Is it you have a lot of money, a big camper, or, or you know, a big house? I mean, what makes a healthy marriage? You probably have some thoughts in your mind. What makes a, a two people, a, a husband and wife, what makes them be excited to come home to be together? What makes them excited to come home and see the other person? What does that in, in people's lives? What makes a marriage healthy? Well, I think the good spot for us to go is to go to the author of marriage, to the Word of God, and under the authority of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul explains in detail what a thriving marriage looks like. Let's read today in verse 21, Ephesians 5. It says this, submitting, everyone say submitting. Submitting to one another. Now, if you know me very well, if you know me as, as a preacher, as a person, you know I kind of like that word, right? Because I like Paul, and Paul uses that word an awful lot. So submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Man, that is ugh, huge right there. But then it continues. He says, verse 22, wives, Submit to your husbands. As to the Lord. Some of you guys are like, that's right. But so the, for the husband is the, is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Man, there's some good stuff here. Paul is spitting fire. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but it nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ loves the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound. Everybody said, amen, it's profound. But it continues, <laughs> I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Man, that scripture is rich, rich with stuff. But I'll tell you that scripture is also rich with people misunderstanding and misquoting and taking bits and pieces out and using bits and pieces of that on their spouse as a missile to hurt and not what the scripture here tells us what it's supposed to be. I'm getting ahead of myself because this scripture here gives us three powerful po points that are elements of our marriages. Number, number one, the power for marriage. Number two, the priorities for marriage. Number three, the design of marriage. We're not going to get to all this today. So what we're going to do is we're going to start out this morning with talking about the power for marriage. And marriage has, has to be driven in the right way. When I was in high school, actually I graduated from high school, I got a job at Bob Ryan Chevrolet in Buffalo, Minnesota. And I was the lot manager. Now you sound, man, I was 18 years old, I was the lot manager. I'm like a, like a child prodigy, right? You know, like Doogie Hauser, and then there's Steve Royalty, lot manager, Bob, Buffalo Ryan Chevrolet. Sounds great. Problem is, I was manager of getting coffee for the salesman, and that's about all I was manager of. And so my job was pretty lowly. Um, I got coffee for the salesman who drank way too much of it. Uh, that was my job. My job was to do whatever the, the sales manager wanted me to do, which was the worst jobs that there were. And then I had to make sure the lot was clean and neat and cars were pulled up. And so it was actually a pretty terrible job, to be honest with you, especially when it was cold out because my job was also to clean the cars off when the snow hit. But... The reason why I didn't mind the job was because I got to drive cool cars. And, and so I'm a car guy, and so I, I got to be a part of that. Hey, that's right. So I got to drive cool cars. And so uh, that's part of, my, because part of my job was when a car got bought, I would be the one to bring it down to Super America to gas it up and to wash it. Now, they didn't trust this 18-year-old kid to drive brand new cars on 55, and so I had to take them around the back way, which actually I liked because it was a lot longer to drive. And there was this long, straight road with nothing else on it. And I will tell you what, that road has probably still has some tire marks for me back in 1995. Because that's right, because I took those cars out. So if you bought a car from Bob Ryan Chevrolet in 1995 and your tires went out a little soon, I'm sorry, it's probably my fault. But anyway, so I remember one time, I remember I drove, and I drove this, this awesome, brand new Camaro. It was a, a six-speed, and I remember because there wasn't a lot of these. We had other ones, but not six-speeds, and so it was a six-speed Camaro, brand new. It had a V8 engine, and it, was, it was fast, it was great. And so I, they, they sold it, and I knew what was happening they sold the car, which meant I was going to get to drive this car down to get gassed. And so I was excited about this. And so I took it out back, and, and, and uh, I drove it like a grandma would, because very cautious my job. No, I beat it, man. <laughs> I took that car out, and I, 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 I put it in first and spin the tires in third. And I, I was barking the tires in fourth gear. It was awesome. And, and so driving down there to get the gas, came back, same thing. And, you know, I, I thought, man, what if you got fired? Well, I didn't care because my job was based on me driving cool cars. And so if I couldn't do that anymore, then I didn't want to live. But anyway, so, so, I had, so I had that car experience, but then not long later, I had a very different experience. 
was almost the same kind of, almost the same car. It was, it was red, it was a Camaro. It looked the same, it had leather interior. It was brand new, same, same car, except it had, a, it had an automatic transmission and it had a V6. Now, why they put V6s in cars like that, I will never know. But this car was a whole lot different than my first car was. It's entirely different. Now, it looked the same. It felt the same. It it, it handled similarly. But the way that it drove couldn't have been more different. And the reason why was because of what was under the hoods. What drove it? You see, there is marriages in this room this morning. There is marriages that you know of that on the, from the outside look amazing. They look incredible. You say, this, these people have it together. They've got everything. But yet under the hood, there's something wrong. Because there's something that will drive your marriage forward, drive it in reverse, or cause it to stay this, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the parking lot or stay in the driveway and never move. And here, Paul gives us what that is. He clearly puts us in the right direction in verse 21. And I want you to underline this in your Bible today because it's really important. Where he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That probably is the greatest piece of marriage advice that we have ever received from in the history of marriage advice is right there. That is in, incredible advice. And what's so amazing about this passage is this is a hinge verse. It's not a complete thought because this, this verse is between two seemingly different thoughts. But because it's got such an incomplete thought, it ties two things together. So to get the full understanding of what this passage tells us, we have to go before the passage and read what, he, what Paul says first. This, this we're going to find today is the reason why I chuckle at best when I hear guys say, my, my marriage is a mess, my wife won't submit to me. Doesn't she know the Bible says, the Bible says it, that she has to submit to me. Doesn't she get it? Why doesn't she get it? And again, I, I chuckle at best because in my heart I'm, I'm crying because that person is missing the most incredible ex- example of, of godly blessing in their lives. Because we gotta concede, we gotta go back to what it says in verse 15. Look at, listen to what it says here. Look carefully how, then how you walk. Not as wise, but as, but making, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Not spirits, but the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus. And then here it comes, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And again, then comes Paul's amazing description of a healthy marriage. See, with that being said today, I want to make something very clear today. When, when Paul was, was thinking of marriage, when he wrote what he wrote in the part in our text today, the, 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 the mindset and thought that he had was what he revealed to us in the hinge verse before. So what Paul had in mind here for a thriving marriage was something very interesting. 
See, a marriage moving forward has two people who have answered life's biggest questions first in Christ. He was giving advice for a, a, a thriving marriage by helping people to understand that they have life's biggest questions settled before they get to marriage. Like they know why they were created. You were not created for your spouse. Because your spouse is a person just like you are. The whole idea that, you know, it sounds great and Jerry Maguire, you complete me and saw this big wonderful moment. It's hogwash. You are not created for your spouse. The word speaks and says you were created by him, for him, to do good works in his, in his name. And so you are created for your spouse. But how many people in our society believe that way? And then when their spouse starts doing things foolish because they will, they're sinful like you are, well, then what happens? You see, they have that settled. Number two, they, they have their identity settled. They know who they are. Ladies, you don't need a man to make your life complete. Guys, you don't need a girl to make your life complete. You are made complete, not by them, but you are made complete in Christ. That's where you get your, your, your identity settled because another person can't do those things. That's putting some incredible amounts of pressure on somebody else who you love because then when they start messing up, and I'm not if, but when, your understanding of what they do in your life is different than what God says and your foundation for marriage begins to turn inward and not outward, which was God called it to be. See, they understand that sanctification or satisfaction and joy are found first in God. We have to understand that, that, that seemingly basic truth that our, our foundation for joy, our foundation for satisfaction is not found in that person that sleeps next to us, or that person that we, we, we eat with or we do everything with. That's not it. Because when they mess up and when things go bad and when things go wrong, if that's where it is, our foundation is found on faulty ground. It's found first in Christ. And then our understanding comes that God has given this incredible gift to me of my wife, who, yes, sometimes is not perfect, although she's better than I am, that, she, that he's, she's given this, this incredible gift to me. And in that gift, I find incredible joy and satisfaction. But those things are not found in her as my source. See, their, their disappointments are not medicated by whatever. You see, that's what Scripture here says, tells us in verse 15 or verse 518. People try to medicate problems away using alcohol, drugs, sex, TV, whatever. There's a million things that people use to medicate away their problems. But none of those things work. See, a person who understands and a person who has a healthy marriage has these things settled in their hearts. Paul saw this this way because that settling powered them for what's next. You see, they're not, their life is not led by selfishness. They are, as Paul says, they are spirit-led. And, and the reason why that's so important is because how else are you going to be able to to do this. How else are you going to be able to walk away from those things that are hard? It's hard to know why I'm created. It's hard to know my identity is sealed in Christ. It's hard to find joy and satisfaction in stuff. It's hard to, to do these things. How else will you do this outside of being spirit-led? 
When Paul wrote these words, he was not writing these words to some people who were two needy and lonely individuals with all kinds of skeletons in the closet, wanting to be fulfilled and satisfied and find life's meaning in somebody else. Paul wrote these words to people who had those things settled. Now, you can have those things settled after marriage, but it takes time, it takes work, it takes dedication, it takes being spirit-led. It takes being led by him. See, church, this morning, marriage is the greatest gift God could ever give humankind. It's the greatest discipleship tool God has in his tool chest. It's the greatest moment and opportunity for me to be changed and made and worked and worked over because my wife knows me better than anybody else and she knows it and she gets it in there all the time. No, because, because that's what God, how God designed marriage to be. When Lisa and I were dating, um, last night I said, honey, I said, I need an example of a time when our marriage, when selfishness just got out of hand and you had to call me on it. She laughed. She said, which one? And I said, well, okay, uh, give me a good one. But no, uh, we, were, we were dating, when, we were dating uh, uh, before we were married and such. And by this point, we had started to really feel serious about each other. And, and we would go out to eat at restaurants a lot. And, and remember if something would happen all the time, she would always offered me food. So we're eating, and she, she should have because I paid for it, by the way, but whatever. And then, no, that goes over good, right? But no, she, she'd offered me her, her, food, her food inside, of course. You know, I, I didn't get this, get, get this thing overnight. So, you know, I said, okay, absolutely, so sweet, okay. You know, so I would eat my food, and I would eat half of her food, and then I'd order, no. You know, I, I would do that stuff, and, and so uh, we would do that all the time. And one time, she stopped, and she said, no, you can't have my food. And I said, why? She goes, I said, it looks really good. You're not going to eat it all. She goes, I'm not going to. No. She goes, but you know what? You have never offered me anything from your plate. And I said, well, you never asked. And she and she, you know what she said? She said, she said, you didn't either. And, and in, in that moment, she, you're like, okay, now you guys are like, okay, now you're meddling, Pastor Steve. But, but, but you see, that, that reveals something about all of us. Why do I do stuff like that? Why do you do things like that? Why do all of us do things like that? I can tell stories about her, too. I won't do that because she's not here. No, I won't do that because there's far less about, about her but, than me. But, but both of us have moments like that in our lives. Why do we have those things? Because we are, flawed, we are flawed, sinful people by nature. And there's some reason, some thought that we have before we get married that we think this hole in my heart that I feel and I sense can be filled by someone who's as flawed and as messed up as I am. See, our, our culture has taught us a lie that the enemy has bought, has sold them, that absolutely is not true. It's not true that someone else can fulfill those needs for you. It's not true someone else because they're just like you in so many ways. And that's why God gave us marriage, to rub those, those edges off. But if we are not first spirit-led, if we are not first driven by selflessness rather than selflessness, or however you say that, if we're not driven by those things first, we're going to miss the boat. Our marriage becomes unhealthy. Our marriage becomes down the wrong track. It starts to find, we find dark spots and dark places we hide from our spouse. We find things and places that we don't want them to know about. We find things that they don't need to know about and such. And on and on and on and on and on. And you know the story because you've seen those things happen. 
in your life. See, Paul says you can't do battle with those things unless you are being led by the Spirit. And that's where that word submit comes into so amazingly. If I could have Pastor Joe come this morning, just play real quietly behind me, because I, I, I want you to hear what this, this comparison makes. Because when Paul says be spirit-led, what's he talking about there? See, what does a spirit-led life look like? Actually, the Bible is quite clear on this. Look at Galatians chapter chapter 5, verse 22. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. I want you to look at that list of of eight things right there. And I want you to imagine a marriage where those eight traits, where those eight things are paramount in the marriage. Where there is love, where there is joy. Your marriage should be joyful where there is love, there is joy, there is peace in the home. Man, I've spent too much time with, 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 with couples whose children, whose, whose grandchildren are walking through difficulty and difficult, awful stuff because in their home growing up, there was no peace. They'd come home and they'd find a war zone. There is peace there. There is patience. There's patience. God puts patience in us. There is, there is goodness. There's faithfulness. Oh, that we can learn a lesson about that in our lives and our marriage nowadays to keep our eyes only for one and not for everybody else and this and that, but only for one. There's faithfulness. There's gentleness. And there's self-control. Imagine a marriage where those things are, are central. You see what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit produces in us a radical selflessness to put us in position where we can begin to have these things worked out in our life by the power and by the authority of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes that power and authority, sometimes God uses my wife to say, Steve, you're being a knucklehead. Knock it off. Sometimes God doesn't need my wife to do that. He does that in my, in, in, by himself. I can think of many times in our lives where maybe, maybe this is make your, your view of me different, but we fight sometimes, and when we argue and we bicker about things, I, I find so often it's so foolish, and we'll, we'll, we'll go our separate ways. It's funny, Lisa, Lisa wants to go, and I want to follow her and just continue to yell and whatever, but you know, you know, it's, we have these moments where, where we just have to part and, and go our separate ways, and, and I, I can't tell you the times when God has said, Steve, you're wrong. You're wrong, Steve. You, you're wrong. She, she didn't say that. She didn't do that. She didn't mean that. She, forgive her, whatever it might be. You're wrong. See, being led by the Spirit is being, is, looks a lot like that. When you have to go back to your wife or your husband with hat in hand and, 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 and such and say, sweetie, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do the right thing. I, I, I said the wrong thing, and I, I'm sorry. What's so funny, and guys, listen to me this morning, listen this morning, because guys, and we'll get into this much more next week, is the leader in your household, you are the first head servant in your household. And if you will build that as a, as a culture in your home, and build as a culture in, your, in, in your, your foundation for your marriage, you will win. According to what scripture says, you see, you go to your spouse and say, I'm sorry. So often my wife, who is amazing and who's incredible, says, 
I'm, I was to tell you first that I'm sorry. You see, if we can have this heart that says, God, I am here to submit to one another. Lord, my heart and my marriage is to submit to thy, that person. We're well off in hand. You see, the, the, the engine for a strong marriage comes to submission. This, this word submit is found in, here in this passage several times. It's not a negative, it's a positive. The positive in life and in marriage and and, and this word in, in the Greek is a, it's a military term. And it means to literally fall in line under a commander. That's the, that's the usage they would have had. So a commander in the army would have said, son, submit. And, and that moment, that young person, that, that cadet or, or whatever, would he submit himself to the leadership of his commander. Now when you submit in that way, you lose some things, don't you? You lose when you're going to eat. You lose when you're going to sleep. You lose when you're going to take a shower, when you're going to have play. I mean, everything in your life is given for the, in submission in that moment. And so, so that's what that word speaks to right there. But in the military, it's a positive because there is a team, because there is a cause to fight for, and we fight together as a team. Now you see how this works within the context of marriage. And why so many marriages struggle right off the gate. Because the people involved haven't learned what Paul said right off the bat. Submit to one another. It's not, you're, I'm the bleeder and you're the under me. It's not, husband, do whatever you want to do and, 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 and make me a cupcake. And not, none of those things. It's submit to one another. It's necessary to operate as a unit because it's for the greater good of the mission or of the team. As your heads are bowed, eyes are closed, Jesus showed us this when he said these words, greater love than, has no one than this than when he laid down his life for his friends. Pastor Steve, what's a, what's a, what's a healthy marriage? What's the picture of a good marriage? I, I, we look to Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith, the, the one who invented, created, and made marriage. Greater love is no one than this. He laid down his life for his friends, and I will be frank with you today, that's impossible without the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you would this morning, stand across this room, if you're married today, if you would, heads bowed, eyes closed. If, you, if you're married, take the hand of your spouse. If you're not married this morning, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're not married today, I, I encourage you to listen up and to look for these qualities in the person that you will marry someday or, or help someone else learn what you, have, what you should have or learn what you are learning to this morning. But, but be frank this morning, this works in, in every single situation in our lives. And this is impossible without the Holy Spirit. What if every single person understood this? What if every married person understood this? What if every child and, and grandchild and parents are like, amen, brother, come on now. You're preaching my gospel now. But what if we all understood this truth this morning? God helps us to do this in the context of marriage. If we can't do it there, our marriage will struggle out of the gate. But all of us need to learn how to do this. Jesus, this morning, 
We give you our lives. We give you our hearts. As, my, as our hands are, are grasped, our spouse, mine's obviously not here. She's in, serving the kids this morning, but I'm thinking about her right now. If yours isn't here, the same. Jesus, I'm thankful, Lord, for this blessing you've given us in marriage. Lord, we see this and understand this and recognize this, Lord, as being a blessing from you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, whether we're single or married or whatever we are this morning, Lord, we can learn this this morning, that God, the, the, the engine for our lives is submission to each other. The engine of our lives is first submission to you. The engine of our lives is, Lord, being led by your spirit and listening to what you say when you do. Jesus, we do that this morning. Lord, I pray for my wife. Lord, we pray for our, our spouses. That Jesus, not that they would get this. But Lord, that they would be, continue to be, to be, uh, to be, to be, to be, to wait with us. Lord, they would continue, Lord Jesus, to be patient with us. As we continue to learn to serve and to follow you first. Lord, we know that the blessings come when we live our lives like that. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. I'm gonna pray one more time today. And like, while wow, you're praying a lot, Pastor Steve. Well, I'm praying this morning because I know there are marriages here that are struggling today. And if I could have the altar team come forward this morning to prepare to pray over people today, and you might be here and say, I'm not going up there. Well, that's how we're going to pray in a minute. We're going to pray that God would, would, would minister because he's a God of grace and mercy and he's a God of love. But you might be here today and say, Pastor Steve, I, our marriage needs help. But, and maybe not just you, but maybe you're thinking of your parents or your grandparents, brother, your, your sister, your whatever today. We serve a God who can do amazing things because we don't get this stuff without the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you today are struggling, if your children are struggling, if your mom or dad is struggling, whatever it might be today, or just if you're here today and you say, I'm single, I don't have anybody right now, but God, I want to dedicate my marriage to you. Because the truth is, and maybe some of you ladies are like, this is a hope, you're going to probably find someone someday. And when you do, make sure that one is the right one. And you want to say, God, I want to give that to you. So that's you. I want to pray. But as I, as, as I pray, come find someone this morning across the street. Just spend some time with him by yourself. And, 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 and we're going to pray. But if you're here and you're struggling, you know someone who's struggling, we're going to pray for them right now. And if that's you, just lift your hands. All of us cross this. Let's lift our hands this morning. And it's a sign of surrender. And Jesus, we don't get this. None of us do, Lord. God, I pray for those marriages that are struggling. Lord, let us come to grips with those things. That God, it's not a, a matter, Lord, of just being not, just not being smart or not getting it. Lord, it's a matter of submission to you and submission to your word and submission to each other, Lord Jesus. Lord, give us the wisdom and the discernment and the understanding, Lord, to get that through our thick skulls. And Lord, I pray, God, for those marriages that you would strengthen them. Lord, you'd teach them some things these next couple of weeks. Lord, that you would, Lord, help them remember why they fell in love in the first place. Lord, give them eyes for their spouse once again. Lord, meet them, Lord, way past the middle. And Lord, bring blessings 
in our families, bring blessings in our lives through our spouse. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen.